Hi, welcome to the Games and Junk Podcast, episode 48, I believe. Uh, my name is Jason Ariola, your usual host, and joining me today is Luke Maxwell. What it is. And special guest, uh, co-host with Luke Maxwell on the uh, Movies Express podcast, Connor Mahood. Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you all. Hey, nice Con- to meet you, Connor. Con- <laughs> Connor, did I say your last yeah. name right? You know what? I was actually thinking, that was amazing. You did, and approximately uh, 0.0001% of people do uh, the first time they say it. So, I don't know, I feel like I, I'm going to get you a present. I was calling a mandalay for years. <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, well good, I don't feel too bad now. Uh, I, I actually just listened to your guys' latest episode about six hours ago, seven hours ago. Okay, so, so you're still high all It's time. still, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I was like, you know what? I'm still aroused. Oh, nah. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and say that. We're, we'll say still, or maybe again. I don't know. Now that I've got both of well, you guys on here, this is, this is, yeah. Anyway, we should probably get to the topic on hand because we're a little pressed for time today. So, uh, anyway, it is the 20th, I guess, anniversary of the PlayStation 1 launching in North America. Uh, Luke, off the top of your head, do you happen to know if it, uh, Launched out in uh, your guys's neck of the woods about or the same time as North America, or did it come a little later? Yeah, I think it was either um, late 1995 or early or, or sometime in 1996. I remember my friend Kean O'Brien uh, got one, and he rang me up on the phone after Christmas and said, "Are you sitting down?" And I said, "Yeah, why?" And he said, "Oh, I got a PlayStation," and I was like, "Oh wow. shit!" Uh, because it, they had this ad at the time on the TV of this Formula One game. With this, there used to be this like Irish kid celebrity who used to review video games on The Den, which was a, a kids show here. Wow. And he was featured prominently in the ad for, uh, the, this Formula One game. So I remember thinking that was oh. pretty cool. Wow. So they got a, they, they, they went all out with the star power out there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Localization, baby. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and we'll, at the very least, then if it's, uh, if it's early 2006, then, or t- what would that be? Nine, what did we say? 96? Uh, well, yeah. FIFA 96 came out for it, so it must have been launched in 95 because they're always a year ahead in their naming. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So, we'll, yeah. So we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll call it the, uh, the final uh, 20, 20 year anniversary since last year was the 20 year anniversary for it in Japan. Anyway, um, a little little history on the PlayStation since Connor, you're not you're not totally or too familiar with it. Um, originally, the PlayStation was going to, or I guess, was a the child of a relationship Nintendo had with Sony, um, building a CD add-on for the Super Famicom slash Super Nintendo. Um, that really didn't pan out so well. Sony had actually made one, and I think just what did you say, Luke? Did you see that story floating around about maybe two months ago, three months ago? Someone where, found a prototype of yeah, it. Yeah, right? they found yeah. a working prototype that was uh, in kind of pristine condition outside of that uh, smoke yellowish uh, sheen, if you will. That's to do with the plastic of yeah, the uh, they yeah. used to manufacture the SNES. Yep. Had this really weird plastic that would discolor yeah, over time. It, yeah, it, it looked like basically you lived in a smoker's house no matter whether you did or not. So, Well, that's Japan for you. That's like offices in Japan back then. You know, yeah. It was pretty built in because everyone was smoking in the factories. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe you know what? Maybe that's what it was. Maybe maybe on the assembly line, everyone was smoking, and it just kind of settled in. So yeah, it only took, but just took a while to emerge. Yeah, it just took like a, a like a lizard shedding its skin. There we go. Uh, a uh, a cocoon, if you will, of uh, terrible uh, plastics. Hmm. 
So, um, this, basically, it didn't pan out. Nintendo ended up going with Philips, creating the Philips CDI. Sony still had already kind of made the, uh, I guess, guts for this thing and decided to strike out on their own. Um, even after, though, the, the thing with Philips kind of was happening and the CDI came to fruition, uh, Sony was still trying to work out something with Nintendo or vice versa. Um, and that just ended up not working out for both of them. So Sony ended up being out on its own. And, you know, 20, 20 years ago, we ended up getting the PlayStation finally. Um, and nothing was ever the same. Y- you know, we, we, we say that's kind of sarcastically, but actually the PlayStation well, had no, it's a true. huge effect on the industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, up until that point, uh, there had been some consoles that utilized CD-ROM technology without much success. Really, the mm-hmm. only thing they were doing with it was adding... Um, you know, better video. audio or postage stamp video. Yeah, uh, yeah, like those lunar cutscenes, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or uh, Tomcat Alley, if you guys remember that, where you had to fly the planes. That was that was a terrible game. But the thing about it is, like, you know, we we joke, of course, but the PlayStation did kind of fundamentally shift the uh, dynamics of what video games were and and who they were for you know like video games were for adults now as opposed to how it was before where computer games were more for you know an older audience and and kids played uh consoles you know or in the case of europe you know like people played on micro computers or whatever but like the playstation represents a shift to where this stuff was cool and uh connor and myself were joking beforehand that like a lot of the games really appealed to like ravers and things like that (laughs) with uh yeah like why bad yeah, where it's just all Red Bull and fucking techno. <laughs> <laughs> take a, and take a hit like, of ecstasy and, uh, and and get and sit down and watch, basically. Yeah, yeah, really. Because, like, you think about it as well, like how PlayStation was marketed. It was like, you know, you're not even ready or whatever. Don't underestimate the power of the PlayStation. All this sort of loud marketing that was picking up from where uh, Sega were with the Mega Drive Genesis or where Nintendo were with their Play It Loud stuff. Mm-hmm. But this actually felt very sincere in that you know in in courting an older audience and then you add in the fact that like many of the franchises that came about did seem to skew more adult in in some ways you know like you have your tomb raiders uh which kind of became a an exclusive in a way over time or at least was synonymous with playstation yeah and resident evil wipeout you know all these sorts of things uh you're fighting games so it it was stuff that like you know uh older people enjoyed and was cool you know Mm -hmm. And that's um and I and I think the let's say a kind of scattershot uh marketing that Sony had when the PlayStation originally came out, um they mm-hmm. you know I, I really I think the the whole thing was there was no known quantity to Sony's library. Uh they didn't have anything. Um, you know, they had entered the games market in nineteen eighty seven through their music label. Um yeah, publishing yeah. you know, publishing games. Uh you know, I don't even remember what game they actually developed um, um they, they first but yeah they definitely published stuff they published uh they developed in-house i believe um mickey mania i think was one of their games that they developed which is a mickey mouse game which yeah. uh david jaffe worked on prior to twisted metal and things like that so they definitely had some development shops but like you know um setting up they they really had to set up a lot of studios in japan and they had to court a lot of third-party developers as well and that was one of the things that they really hit out on too is having the support of namco uh particularly bringing their console 
are their their arcade games to console because the boards were based on the PlayStation, so you could get these nearly perfect, uh, a bit faster than a, the regular PlayStation, the arcade board, but you could get nearly perfect versions of Tekken, Ridge Racer, Soul Edge, um, you know, all these games. So, yeah, and the the PlayStation um, for everything that it did, kind of, I guess, awkwardly at first, the uh, I, I guess the going for the Gen X crowd, the the Nintendo crowd that it was, I guess, trying to win over that grew up on the NES. You know, us who were you know getting to our teenage years, there, you know, late teens, maybe even early twenties. Um, you know, mm. the realization that we were growing up and maybe we wanted our video games to be a little bit more mature, do some things differently than what yeah. Nintendo was offering at the time, and. Uh, part of the decision, I think, in breaking away and doing their own thing had a lot to do with Nintendo's kind of insistence on sticking with cartridges and Nintendo, or, and, uh, Sony going with the, the CD, which was ultimately cheaper to produce. Yeah, that helps publishers as well. And you wouldn't have seen any of the kind of games that you had coming out anyway. But I think, um, one of the things that's important, and Connor, you could speak to this as well, maybe, is that I think for people in Europe, especially, the PlayStation was a much easier sell because we didn't have this growing up with the Nintendo as much. Like people here had Mega Drive, so they had mm-hmm. computers. Um, but then, you know, going from this, from the Mega Drive, and then seeing what Sega were doing with the Saturn was a little bit disappointing. But then the PlayStation was kind of like, oh, you know, this is this is the kind of thing that I'm into already. You know, I could I could definitely go for one of these. Yeah, well, for me, I can say I I had a um, I had a Nintendo Master System hmm. when I was a kid, and I stopped playing that, and then would I just be, wasn't a kid. Would that be an NES? A Sega Master System. Oh, Sega. Oh, sorry, did I say oh. Nintendo? Yeah, you said Master. Yeah, sorry, you said yeah, Nintendo. I, I thought I was like, Sega wait, what? <laughs> we're, we're talking Alex Kid here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I played that for a while and then I stopped and I just wasn't a kid who played video games. And um, it was actually the it was the run up and the excitement to the PlayStation um, that made me kind of get when I was, uh, I guess I was about 19 or so uh, when it came out or 18 or 19. You saw a flashback and you thought, or no, you saw a fade to black and you thought, uh, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, I, I remember bringing it home and, yeah. uh, you know, friends coming over to, to play, uh, I guess, Tekken. Yeah. And um, I remember that feeling of like these characters are moving in the third dimension. You know, we couldn't believe it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like the I've been a I've been I haven't stopped playing games since then, really. And PlayStation was sort of the thing that brought me back in as a sort of an older gamer. Yeah, many people as well. I think child. That, yeah, yeah, that same experience. Um, you know, and I would I, I would say as much as Nintendo um, was sort of the thing that got me into video games. Um, the PlayStation brand is more or less what's kept me in it all these years as well. I mean, you know, I've always yeah, gone back to Nintendo, but Sony, you know, I, I, I've always, I guess out of the, the big three now, I've always had outside of the Xbox One, I've always had the three of them. Um, mm. but, you know, Sony has kind of become the one that has just become the, I, I you know, synonymous with video games for me, even without my realizing yeah. it, so. Yeah, I think you had to have a PlayStation, especially during the time when the PlayStation came out, because unless you were really into importing games and you were really into fighting games, Mm -hmm. you weren't into the Saturn. And if you had no taste or, you know, were able to discern what was good or not, you were into the N64. Right. Um, Or you you could go the, uh, you know, the year 
year and a half of uh, games that were actually worth anything, basically, that the Nintendo 64 would publish out, you know? So Well, that's it, exactly. One game every quarter. I mean, one of the things, this is going to get oh, off a little bit. Oh, you're being generous one of, with quarters. One of the things that is bothering me recently is that people are really into this rare collection that came out for the <laughs> Xbox One. Oh, here we go and again. Sit down, Connor. Uh, grab a seat. They're, they're, talk, they're talking about how, like, you know, you should really appreciate things like, I don't know, uh, Conquered Bad Fur Day and uh, Jet Force that, Gemini yeah, and things. Nope. And it's just like, you know, Rare have never made a good game apart from Goldeneye, and uh, you know people talk about Viva Pinata and stuff, but that's because they're they're children, and uh, yeah, Rare are just the the worst. They're, they're yeah, terrible. The, 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 the only the one I would say was bad. The only one I, I would say is worth it is Bla- or maybe Blast Core, but even then, like I I don't know. Like once I get the Xbox I think we one, actually I talked about yeah. this uh, last episode. Oh, we did, fact, we did, and that's, and that's exactly why I said, screed. yeah, that's exactly yeah. why I said, uh, go ahead and uh, sit back, Connor, here for a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, look, we'll, we'll get on to on better there. things, yeah. right? We'll so talk about the, good games. So the, and, and really, I think that's what helped the PlayStation kind of get its footing versus what the, or, you know, even the Saturn. Um, the Saturn was basically doing the 16-bit era again, just a little prettier, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of pixels and, you know, pushing yeah. a lot of 2D games. And the PlayStation was adding that, you know, adding that extra dimension, allowing for, you know, different experimentation. And it was easier to develop for, which, um, you know, kind of got reversed in the, uh, in this, in the previous generation, I guess now, where the PlayStation 3 ended up being the one that took a while for people to get a hold of as far as, uh, you know, oh, that's what's right. the phrase one I'm of looking the, for? One of the leads of, uh, Optimizing mods, yeah. Yeah, one of the leads of Battlefield said that it held, um, you know, games back nearly. Uh, the the PlayStation Three has held the development of games and engines back um, wow. because of its architecture. But I mean, that's that's a story for another, another time. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, that is the thing. The PlayStation was easy to develop for. It was cheap to develop for. There were so many games, and there were so many kind of types of games that you know you could find something to suit anybody. You know, and um, I, I think it was I, I technically more expensive to develop for than the uh, Nintendo 64, but it mm-hmm. was cheaper to get these games out the door um, just from like, right. a physical, you know, because you, you, you had the ability to do the discs for, you know, a few cents versus yeah. whatever those cartridges cost, and Nintendo still had the monopoly on the carts, and if the third parties didn't sell enough copies, well, Nintendo got their money, and the third parties may or may not have. So I, I think ultimately that's sort of what pushed a lot of the third parties towards Sony was, oh, well, it basically costs us nothing to print these games out. So if uh, even if they we just break even, we still have a chance yeah. of making another game. Whereas on the 64, you could go out of business in two games if your mm-hmm. games didn't sell. And they hit these big things. Like a lot of people jumped ship, I suppose. You know, Enix uh, Square also jumped um, ship to... PlayStation over time and you saw games kind of exclusively coming out from Square and you know I mean there was a double header of Final Fantasy 7 announced for PlayStation and then like you know Dragon Quest 7 announced as well so that was huge in Japan and wasn't then, uh, Dragon Quest 7 initially going to be on the Nintendo 64 it was initially uh, there's kind of thought about it like it it some people say the N64 other people say that it might have been a Saturn game um which actually, looking at the game, you can kind of see that it might have been a Saturn game because it looks awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you. That's kind of, you know, um, not, not here nor there, but like in Europe, again, you had a lot of the PC publishers and a lot of the Amiga publishers then going, uh, particularly because Sony bought Psygnosis, who had been a major player in Amiga and home computers, then moving on to PlayStation. And in America, you had sort of, you know, American games weren't what they are now. They weren't as 
good as the Japanese games um, and Europe was maybe third place but you had you know Sony fostering American talent there as well with um, people like 989 Studios and uh, you know Sony Santa Monica eventually Naughty Dog that sort of thing and so you have these people like graduating from stuff like the 3DO uh, which the would be sort of CD systems to the CD system and the the top one and and as we said you know it results in just so many great games coming out and um, I think that's a you know, uh, not to not to take away your hosting duties here, Jason, but I'm aware that Connor has some sort of delicious chicken on the way. Um, so maybe we should run through his top five. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, w- one one quick. Little... I want anything that I'm ever going to say to be introduced that way. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> he has some chicken to eat. Uh, one one quick last little little history note here. Oh, sure. I think uh, I think what also helped was the price drops. Within four years of the PlayStation launching, it went from two hundred ninety nine dollars to ninety nine dollars. I mean, that was mm-hmm. yeah, that's a substantial mm-hmm. drop. So I think that that yeah. barrier of entry getting uh, you know gradually torn down very quickly was a uh, yeah. was a big selling thing there. So. And we have to remember it was always a cheaper system. We remember the big story about the Saturn being announced and it was, oh, $400. And then E3 that year, Sony come out and they say, oh, ours is $300. It's $100 cheaper weight and you'll get a better system and it'll be cheaper. Effectively what they did with the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. Yeah. And it'll be the same thing with the um, N64 too. The games were expensive on the PlayStation. They weren't as expensive. And although the N64 was a very affordable system, you could end up spending $100 or £100 in our uh, money on uh, Zelda or any of the other big games. So it was, uh, you know, uh, quite a different sort of value proposition, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so basically, that kind of runs through the little brief history. What we're going to do now is, Connor, I'll let you start off in case you've got to uh, jump ship on us here in the middle of it. Um, we're going to go through about our favorite five uh, PlayStation 1 games and maybe give a little uh, thing like what kind of got you into the PlayStation eventually. Like what was the first, although you kind of did go over that with us, um, what, was the, what was the big thing on like PlayStation kind of winning you over? Yeah, so initially, um, I, you know, I played a lot of Tekken with friends and stuff, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then, uh, we picked up Soul Blade, uh, aka Soul Edge. And that is my favorite fighting game of all time. Hmm. And, um, it was, I found it to be so incredibly intuitive. I loved the way that you could kind of learn the system of the game. And then each character had their own kind of special moves and stuff. But generally speaking, the the rhythm of the fights in the game were pretty much the same for all characters. And then it was just flavor. You could change things around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like it was a really deep and a really fast fighting game. So that was the one that really brought me in. And that's, that's on my list of top five, actually. Um, you know, I have a difficult time describing uh, for Resident Evil 1 or 2 because Resident Evil 2 is like the, one of the funnest games of all time. But when I first started playing Resident Evil, I was uh, about 19 or 20. I brought it home and I, I went uh, up to my, uh, like I had a spare room. I went up there and I turned off the lights and I started playing. And when the first zombie appeared and came at me and I shot it, I went downstairs and I got the stereo from the kitchen mm-hmm. and I brought it up and I put on some like upbeat music and I turned on all the lights <laughs> and I turned down the TV a little bit and I started playing again because <laughs> it was the only way that I could cope with my terror. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty amazing. And I'll always have a, an affection for the voice actors from, uh, oh, yeah. one, of course. You will now turn into a Jill sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Ah uh-huh, man, yeah. Is this Chris's blood? Um, and, and so on and so on. Um, 
but uh yeah and then i've I, again i have a similar thing with silent hill one and two like silent hill one was such a revelation and such an incredibly fun game but silent hill two i think is one of the uh, most interesting experiments in narrative in the history of games really mm. or in the history of games that i've played um I love the multiple endings, and I love the way that you you can kind of decide how you feel about the character yourself. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like that in um, Silent Hill One as well. That they have the continuity there, even with the endings that you can sort of go from one and two. And if you want this whole thing to be the product of a UFO or a dog in a control room, it can be mm-hmm. because the the endings sort of match up. And That's I think lovely. that like you're definitely right in saying that you know Silent Hill on the PlayStation One really did lay the the groundwork for a lot of what Silent Hill Two did then in terms of its atmosphere and everything um yeah i remember silent hill one was so controversial when it came out because there were characters that looked like children in the in the school in the initial releases of it and um it was they had an an article in the irish times i remember and a demo of it came with um metal gear solid and my my parents said uh you know luke uh you know we know you you wanted this metal gear game but we got to take this silent hill demo away from you because it's it's you know it's awful what they're doing in these wow. games, you know, yeah. and uh, they got rid of that Silent Hill demo because it was uh, it was apparent. But eventually, you know, I think Konami changed it to little kind of claw men instead of children. Yeah, it's funny actually. Like that's something we could you could do a whole show about. I think um, that video games occasionally slip into violence against children. Just yeah. there's only been a few cases of it. And it's crazy when it happens. Yes. But, uh, okay, well, to round out my top five, which is the Shaggy Dog uh, number, which may be more than five or maybe less than five, um, uh, Blood Omen, Legacy of Cain. Does anybody remember that game? Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. You I, know, I, that is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. That for is, a long time, it was my favorite game. That is one of those series that I am, I, I am woefully uh, wanting to, I guess, be resurrected, but I think that, I think that mm-hmm. series is dead. So mm. long Soul Reaver dead. was great too. Yes. Yeah, Soul Reaver was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. That, but I just know, I loved um I loved the story of Legacy of Cain. I loved that it was like a you know, a resurrection um revenge story, you know, like yeah. revenge from beyond the grave. So rock and roll. Interesting, these same people worked on Legacy of Cain, worked on the Uncharted uh narratives. So oh, really? you can see a kind of a through line there, not just having really good stories. Uh, yeah, in games, you know, being interested in that because I remember that was one of the things about Soul Reaver as well. That like it was really fun, but the voice acting and the cinematics and everything were so cool. You know, like the interaction yeah. with Kane and Raziel and and everything. And then also the fact that like in the series, you know, with the legacy of Kane, you get to actually you know play it from Kane's perspective. So it's not just this one dimensional bad dude. You know, yeah, there's, there's he's fleshed out as well. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, um, and also I guess um, we'll maybe talk about it more next week. But um, when Metal Gear Solid came out, um, mm. it was like that was like a little revolution all over again in gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it felt like a different console. Um, playing Metal Gear Solid made the PlayStation One feel like it was a, a next generation console to me. Like it was, it was a, a, such a leap, you know. Everything old is uh, new again. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I. I think I played through Metal Gear Solid more times maybe than any other game. Mm. Yeah, you're talking to the guy here as well. Like, I, I must have played that game through, no joke, <laughs> in, in and around 50, 60 times. Yeah, we're, wow. we're going to, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of overlap here with our picks, I'm betting now, so. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's it for me. Oh, and by the way, let's give an, a quick honorable mention to um, 
uh, Spider-Man for the PS1. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's such a good game. The, the, yeah, fun. yeah. Oh, that's a really great game, actually. I remember um, having a lot of fun with that. It was made by the same guys that made Tony Hawk's, and it kind of has that same sort of feeling to it, in yeah, a way. Yeah. Did actually you know? include Spider-Man in one of the Tony Hawk games? I, I think he is yes. in the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, those, those, those were great games as well, Tony Hawk, and that's one of those things that's kind of... Uh, up there with PlayStation kind of greatness too but yeah Spider-Man was so much fun it was a lot of fun and I remember they fucked it too because Spider-Man 2 the one that they made was they they had really hard bosses in it so it just wasn't as fun as the first one that's Um, right like the shocker was I think was oh no it was uh, Mysterio he's the guy with the globe on his head right he was in 2 and he was really really hard like it kind of you know put the game to a halt almost it was so difficult yeah um but the first one's a lot of fun, you know. Um, so that's uh, that's it for me. That's, well done, uh, Connor. That's uh, a good that's, list. That's my list, I think. But while you guys are talking about your lists, I'll probably be interjecting with a lot of like, "Shut up!" No, that's that should be on my list. <laughs> um, so that's something for you guys to look forward to. So yeah, I can't on. wait. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you want me to take it up, Jason, or do you want to go? No, absolutely. You go right ahead, Luke. All right, I'm going to start off with. Um, a uh, couple of games here. Um, I'm, it might not be five, as I said. It might be kind of shaggy dog, as with Connor's one. Uh, one of the ones I have to mention straight off the bat is uh, Rival Schools, which is um, a game mm. by Capcom, uh, a fighting game, which was pretty innovative in that it had uh, two discs. It had an arcade disc and uh, an exhibition disc. And one of the discs contained a lot of... Um, you know, the, the, it's based around rival high schools fighting mm-hmm. one another. And one of the discs contains a lot of mini games based around that. So you could go visit the school nurse and she would make your controller vibrate to give you massages. Mm-hmm. You could play baseball. You could play football. Um, you can do volleyball uh, events and things like that. And uh, then you could also fight guys a lot. And it had like little stories for every team of dudes. So you'd have picked different teams for different high schools. They'd have little stories and they were really well done. And it was, you know, at the time, I suppose, when... Uh, in the UK, anime was a big deal around this time, uh, with manga video releasing a lot of stuff. And, um, Rival Schools definitely appealed to that same sort of set. You know, it had like the, the Japanese like opening with the, some guy singing this crazy song and it had fireballs, you know, Dragon Ball style fireballs and stuff. And what I didn't kind of realize at the time, cause I was never, good at Street Fighter as a mm-hmm. kid because I had a friend actually we mentioned Kean O'Brien before but um, Kean O'Brien not a friend of mine anymore actually I should say but um, he uh, he would never tell me how to do any of the special moves in Street Fighter <gasps> and I never looked it up so I no. never knew really? but it was rival schools that actually taught me all the special moves because of the same movements you know and actually mm. a nice little thing is that um, Sakura from uh, Street Fighter Alpha mm-hmm. is one of the characters in Rival Schools because she goes to one of the high schools and it's one of those games that, like you hear about it now and then and there was a sequel on the Dreamcast uh, Project Justice but um, you know for my money the first one was always the best and it was so much fun you know just doing even all the little extracurricular activities apart from the fighting you know that's uh, that's something that they uh, maybe should add back into a fighting game anymore is uh, you know giving you something to do outside of fight I mean yeah like you think about Tekken you know? cool. yeah you I think about Tekken that had like the Tekken Force mode and it had the beach ball like the, the volleyball mode and stuff yeah. and it was the same at rival schools you know so yeah you're right it, the I games should do course. that yeah because it's such a value then as well like rival schools was such a value because it wasn't just an arcade conversion you know it felt like they really put a lot of effort in and I actually you know at the time I had a lot of sort of 
debate going on in my little mind about which game company I liked the best. Mm. And, and for a long time, it was between Capcom and Konami because they both made s- such good games, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, I think like that would lead on to a couple of other ones on my list. Um, one I really enjoyed at the time was Vandal Hearts, uh, which was a Konami strategy RPG. Um, which was, was pretty good. It, it was like Final Fantasy Tactics, the same kind of idea. Um, but it had this really funny gimmick where whenever you killed someone, this like comical Monty Python, Black Knight style spurt of blood would just fly up in the right, air. Right, I remember guys. that. And I remember thinking like as a kid, cause I'm younger than you guys by, by a considerable amount, I would say at the time when I was playing this, I thought like that is cool. Cause I think you like, just wild. insulted us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel yeah. the weight of, Time and oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, bit. but you guys would have looked at it and said like that looks dumb. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> for me, I was like that looks cool. And then another thing that I really liked uh, coming out of Konami at that time was uh, Sukhoiden Two, um, which is a, a really great game uh, based on the 108 stars, uh, the water margin myth, uh, Chinese mythos. And, and it's, one um, of those games that, as a child, you were never really sure on the actual pronunciation of it. Yes, yeah, I remember. Yes, I, I, even as Luke said it, I was like, so that's how you say it. Uh, well, I don't think that is how you I say it. I think it's Suikoden. I think it's Suikoden. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. Oh. I'm sticking with my weird, uh, you know, childish uh, way of saying it. Um, I really like that game. I remember at the time that Final Fantasy VIII was coming out, uh, Suikoden 2 was, so, Suikoden <laughs> 2 was coming out at the same time. And I remember opting for that over Final Fantasy VIII and uh, being very happy because I was actually, I felt bamboozled by Final Fantasy VIII. I felt like everything that I enjoyed about Final Fantasy VII had been done away with, mm-hmm. with eight. And, you know, we didn't get Final Fantasy III in Europe, I don't think. So, and we didn't actually get many of the Final Fantasies at the time, except for the Game Boy ones. And so if I'd played the other ones, I would have known that like each one's different, but I was expecting another seven, or like seven two, mm-hmm. and so eight was profoundly disappointing in that way for now, the me. Game you know? Boy, you know, real, real, real quick to backpedal here, uh, the mm-hmm. Game Boy ones. You mean the like the the ones that were uh, the Saga, Saga games, games and then the yeah, uh, yeah. Seiken and Setsu one. That's right, yeah. Okay. And then, like, I remember actually there was a magazine that used to uh, come out. One of the big things about the PlayStation was you could get demo discs, you know. And there was the official magazine that used to come out that had a demo. But then there was another magazine that used to come out called, um, I don't know, PlayStation World, I think, that had a demo disc. And I remember they had a big blowout preview. Uh, one of my friend, uh, Jay Conley. Um, who I'm still friends with, unlike Ian O'Brien, uh, had, uh, had a copy of this magazine that had the, it's the, the third demo time you've said his name. Page. I think, I think we're going to invoke him to appear here in a minute. For yeah, that yeah I hope so. He'll, he'll come up behind me. Um, so, um, actually he was instrumental, uh, cause he lent me his copy of Final Fantasy VII cause he couldn't get into it. He liked the anime shit, but he couldn't like figure out the combat. Gotcha. So, uh, and actually I was very resistant to Final Fantasy VII, um, for a long time. I didn't like it, but I liked the fighting. But I thought the story and everything was stupid. Uh, but that's beside right. the point. Um, because, uh, when Final Fantasy VIII was coming out, I remember people were really excited about it, especially my friends who were into Final Fantasy VII. And, uh, I, I thought that it was a total swiss because it was like whole different dudes, you know? And I remember getting the copy of this magazine that my friend had and writing in like Sharpie on the front, like, you know, like, don't believe the hype or something. Uh, <laughs> well, you showed them, Luke. Such a, such a weird Walk and move. Roll. Uh, to do, uh, to, to your buddy. But, um, 
you know, they, they ended up liking Final Fantasy for many years. And I actually fell off RPGs after the PS1 for a very long time until I got around to playing some of the... I remember liking Western RPGs a lot more than on the computer. But then um, I think it was it was Dragon Quest uh, Eight brought me back into, like, Japanese games. And Persona 3 brought me back into the, the Japanese stuff. But that's a different story. Um, another game I really liked was uh, Dev- uh, Devil Dice, which was a puzzle game where you were a little devil guy running around on top of some dice uh you had to match some dice another one i really liked was psycon which was a game made with uh, netzia rose which was a system whereby you could buy uh, an expensive version of the playstation and you could program your own games and uh, there was one game on it it was like a top-down shooter called psycon that was really great uh you used to play that a lot and uh, there was another great game called uh, Terra Incognito, which was kind of like a Zelda-like game for the PlayStation 1 that I remember thinking was pretty cool. Um, also on my list of games I really enjoyed were uh, International Superstar Soccer Pro 2001, which is what would eventually become um, Pro Evolution Soccer. Mm. I remember really liking those. I also remember um, getting a lot of fun out of... Uh, the original Dynasty Warriors game, which was a beat 'em up as opposed to a right, wasn't that like a like, wasn't it basically like a two D like fighter? Basically, it was like Soul Edge essentially, okay. um, but with ancient Chinese guys. And I remember really liking that. And uh, of course, you know, there's there's ones that everyone would talk about. I mean, I could talk about Metal Gear Solid for days. It was like my jam uh, so much. I I loved that game. I did all the special missions. I you know I I had everything um, to to do with Metal Gear, and I I really love it to this day um and of course then uh, vagrant story as well i'd probably mention uh, a funny story about vagrant story uh i remember getting it at christmas i was playing it on um uh christmas morning and you know at the start of the game you do this little thing it's a really cool intro because like it splices the intro with gameplay and i remember playing it and there's a bit at the end where ashley is looking out over the town you know and it's it's this view and my dad walked in and said wow you know these games are getting really advanced. You know, it's a really good looking woman. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh no, you know, it's, it's a dude. And he's like, oh, it's a good looking bloke too. And sort of nodded to himself, satisfied and then left the room. Um, so there you go. That was, uh, those are my PlayStation games. So it'd be, um, it'd be all those. Oh, and also the Grand Stream side is a pretty fun game where nobody has a face and it's a pretty interesting sort of game because it's like an RPG, but every fight in it is against one combatant. And so you have to like really think about like the different guys and their weaknesses. And, and the stuff. Grand Stream Saga so is the like sort of like has tenuous uh, connections to what is it? The Soul Blazer. Am I am I thinking of the right thing? Soul Blazer. It is. Yeah, Gaia, it's by the Enigma. it's by the quintet guys. Yeah, right. that's right. Was that that was their last game too, wasn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. And you can kind of see them struggling with the, the 3D stuff, you know, like, as I said, no one has a face. So yeah, you know, and that, that was, that was something else. A lot of people didn't make the transition to 3D very well, unfortunately. That's where we lost mm. a lot of people like Quintet. I don't know why I struggled. Even in Metal part. Gear, where, like, everyone looks real nice, even in Metal Gear, uh, they still just bob their heads up and down instead of moving their mouths. In fact, the only one I could really think of that, like, moves their mouth is, um, bizarrely, some of the Final Fantasy games do. And then also, uh, Mega Man Legends had like animated sprites for the dude's mans. Hmm. That was pretty great. All right, well, so I'll, there you go. I will run down mine real quick. Um, a little crossover here with Connors, the original Silent Hill. I remember, um, yeah. you know, getting into that thing, and you know, this was oh, geez, I, I, I was probably about 
18 when that came out, 17, and going home and playing it on my in a little 13-inch CRT TV and uh, turning off all the yeah. lights and being absolutely terrified, especially, like, you know, you get into the school the first time and the, uh, the, the air raid siren comes on. And oh God, it just yeah. changes into the rusty, dark, d- terrifying. Th- and I was like, I, I don't know if I can play this. This thing is just terrifying the ever-loving crap out of me. Um, and it's, I, I don't know how it's aged. I really have been kind of afraid to go back to it. It's one of those things that's on my Vita sitting on one of my uh, Vita memory cards. Like, eh, maybe someday I'll pop some headphones on and play it on my Vita in the dark. But because eh, I can't imagine that would hold up very well on a, uh, you know, on a big modern TV. So... Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's the unfortunate thing about that generation that it, it doesn't blow up very well to bigger sizes, unfortunately. So that's because it didn't have a, a certain type of buffer, and so all the um, textures like move around. If you look at them, you know, like if you look at a a game, the Z for buffering, example, say right? something like Kingsfield. Yeah, there's no Z buffering, so you, like everything just looks like it's swimming all the time, and it becomes really hard to look at. Yeah. Like the, the the games look like magic eye puzzles sometimes. <laughs> Um, let's see. One I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised nobody's brought up here uh, was uh, Symphony of the Night. That was... Ah, uh, oh, so close, man. It almost made my list. <laughs> what is a man, Jason? <laughs> Miserable pile of secrets. But enough yeah. talk. Let's get back on to... Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Symphony of the Night. It's one of those games that I think I... It, I didn't go through it nearly as much times as Metal Gear Solid, or which is definitely mm. my uh, favorite... Uh, PS1 game, which we'll get to here in a minute, but I did go through that a few times. That was one of those games that, like, I wanted to oh, complete that thing, and it was just... When that castle, like, flipped around, and you realized that there was, you know, more than 100%, it was crazy. You know, that was, was that was one of those things that even, you know, I, I, I went and fought Richter, and was actually not satisfied, but satisfied enough that that was the game. And then, you know, I was in school and mentioned it, and somebody said, oh, no, you need this item, and the, the, the castle flips, and you actually go and fight dracula you know i was like wait what they, i'm not even halfway through this game i was like holy yeah. crap okay so yeah i was i was very satisfied with it as it was and then to find out there was more to it including you can play through it as richter i was like okay mm. we're there's we're nothing more satisfying business. in that game than filling in those little rooms that you haven't been able to get to you know like uh, there's like one room yes. and you're like oh if only i could and then you figure it out and you're like oh finally you know Filling up that percentage. <laughs> yes, those yeah. those type of games are dangerous for uh, you know for completionists and OCD, especially since the I think the actual percentage that you can complete is what two hundred point six or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. It's it's there's a there's a like small glitch where it will like click a couple squares or whatever just outside of the map, so it's like you can get to two hundred, and then if you want to actually get the complete thing, it's two hundred point six, which is just a ridiculous number. Um, yeah. We, we we talked a little bit about it, but uh, you know Metal Gear Solid, of course, that is just one of those things that I I remember going through my I believe it would have been my junior year of high school and just talking with a couple of my friends, mostly my friend Steve Watson. Um, we would that was about the only thing that kept me awake in geometry class at the time was we yeah. would, we would discuss uh, Metal Gear, where we were at, the little tricks in there, the little like mm. attention to detail that was in that game that we had never really seen to that point. Um, just the crazy storytelling and what we would eventually, you know, come to find out was just kind of Kojima's way of telling a story was just this really, yeah. really off the wall, sometimes batshit crazy uh, methodology. But it was like, it seemed real serious and kind of austere at the time in a way. Yes. I think it was because of exactly. the, 
the translation, it was a different person that translated Jeremy Blustein, I think his name was, who worked on Snatcher as well. And I think he Blaustein, kind of got, Blustein, yeah, got the idea of kind of editing Kojima a little bit, you know? I, I think that's what sort of got away in recent years is that, you know, that no one will kind of say no to him, but I think that, I, uh, I think JB was able to, make sense out of some of his nonsense I you know think so it what it is, is he he took uh he basically took control over the uh because he speaks english but not he's not you know obviously a fluent and natural mm. english speaker and i think that's where a lot of the stuff like um I, we, I think we briefly talked about this on twitter together about metal gear solid 5 um, yeah. just the sort of ridiculous dialogue that's in there sometimes. And you're just like, that doesn't, nobody would say that who speaks English as even their maybe, you know, second language sometimes. But This thirst for revenge, who <laughs> um, is uh, one of my favorite lines in the recent um, Metal Gear. Can I just, can I just say something? And the, the fact that I think the, the way, uh, the way Metal Gear Solid came up for all three of us um, reminds me of something. I think like Metal Gear Solid, that game uh, was for us 90s kids kind of I think what Star Wars was for 70s kids in a way mm, um, yeah. like it's so it just looms so large yeah like if you played video games in the 90s you played Metal Gear Solid it, it was know? everywhere in a way you never I mean, forgot it yeah and I, I remember hearing a, a funny story about a guy getting um, <laughs> uh, getting refused into a club in London and uh as he was walking away, he heard the bouncers talking about um, uh, Sniper Wolf, and uh, he was he was able to reveal to them a secret that you can use Nikita missiles when you're fighting Sniper Wolf for the second time on the snowfield, so you can just drive the Nikita missiles around, and they let him in after he told them <laughs> this, this strategy, because they've been stuck on uh, Sniper Wolf, so I suppose it is that thing that kind of brings people together, and there's yeah. some commonality in that, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, most of my friends had moved on from, I guess, some of the type of games that I was playing, which were, I don't know, maybe, because you know, I, I distinctly remember my junior year of uh, high school playing Pokemon on a Game Boy Pocket, and right. wow. you know, I, I, you know, I, I went to a not great high school, so the fact that I was mm. this guy who, you know, was walking around with a Game Boy Pocket playing Pokemon was probably the bravest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, but Metal Gear Solid was something I remember. With every everybody I knew that like was even remotely interested in playing video games was playing Metal Gear Solid. It was just one of those commonality things that I could get with, you know, just the you know the average dork that I kind of leaned yeah. towards hanging around to. You know, the guys who played basketball, the guys who you know did nothing but lift weights because that was all they were really capable of. But they identified with uh, Vulcan Raven, exactly. Giant and Shaman. Yeah, didn't 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 really understand yeah. the uh, you know the spirituality aspect to him. Just like that. Hey, I've, there's this gigantic dude with a gigantic gun. He's pretty cool. Oh, yes. Sure, sure. That's great, man. Um, I had all the toys of them, uh, of all the dudes, the McFarlane toys. And this will appeal to Connor. Um, the, I'll be the, the judge of that. The cast that they had for like Snake's face on the, the McFarlane toy line from El Gersad looked like uh, Watts's face from Men Behaving Badly. Um, not the guy with the long hair, but the other guy. Martin, Martin Clunes, that's right. That's Snake looked like so exactly disturbing. like Martin Clunes. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. Can you? I don't know if you can put a picture in the show notes or something. Or... I, I've got him at home. I'll take a photo of him and uh, send yeah. it to you the next time. I don't know if it'll be in time for the podcast. Absolutely. But, um, I, I'm you know sure what? you can. I'll... I'm sure you can Google it, Jason. If you look up Todd McFarlane Metal Gear Solid, um, you know the the MGS One Snake. 
looks a lot like British actor Martin Clunes. My goodness. Mm. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy I stuff. Will, uh, I will Google that as soon as we are done here. Um, and speaking of done here, let me go ahead and wrap up with the last two games. Um, Alundra, a Zelda-type game with a rather kind of dark story. Um, it drug out a little bit more than I would have liked, uh, and I got a got a little lost here and there, especially... Uh, it, it, it didn't. It, I guess. I guess that's where a lot of games Not as play. Tight as Zelda. Yeah, where a lot of games yeah. that try to be Zelda kind of like fall into that trap of either being too hard or too vague or just overly easy. This one kind of leaned on the too hard and too vague side of it. But the story was really interesting, and there wasn't really any kind of Zelda game like you know two D top down uh, Zelda game that was available outside of uh, Link's Awakening for the Game Boy. Uh, yeah. So it, it kind of filled a niche for me that wasn't really being fulfilled by Nintendo themselves. So I remember that's what happened to me with uh, Medal of Honor for the PlayStation was filling that niche that like there was no GoldenEye two, but mm-hmm. Medal of Honor played a lot like GoldenEye. You know, so the same sort of thing. Am I, am I right in thinking that Alundra had like a lot of weird translation stuff with like Bill Clinton and whatnot? <sighs> You know, I'm trying to remember if Working Designs did that, because if they did, then it probably did. But I know for sure, like, Lunar uh, Silver Star Story did. That was one of those things that uh, it, it definitely had a lot of uh, lot of, lot of, um, of the time referential jokes that you kind of go back now and you're like, what the hell just happened? So I don't know. Are you guys still there? Yep, we're still here. Um, did you get my question about Bill Clinton? Is Bill Clinton in Alundra? Is that right? You know that one I don't remember. Um, okay, I don't re- I don't remember if he was in there. Uh, looks like Connor actually dropped off. Connor, uh, it's still connecting to Connor. Um, mm. Sorry, we'll just yeah, maybe I'll have to yeah, edit we'll this just, part here. That's no big deal. It's okay. Um, let's see. We're nearly done anyway. Yeah. Okay. And the final game that I have here is Tactics Ogre. Um, despite the atrocious leveling system, which we, I think we've discussed before, where it is. You either have to throw rocks at each other for hours yeah. on end, or you set it on, um, you know, the AI fighting fighting itself, and it is it gets ridiculously long in the tooth doing it that way. Despite that, I managed to put I don't know how many hours, probably a few hundred hours into that game, getting all of the endings. Um, mm. Yeah, getting I, there, there's even a uh, secret gunner character that was ridiculously abstract to get that I was probably my first uh first time I ever got into like game FAQs trying to figure out right. how to get him how to get into it. So And it's one of those things that stuck with you for years, right? You always bring up Tactics Ogre or you're always playing Ogre Battle something or other. You know? Right. Tactics Ogre Under, on the PSP Let us click together. Right? Yeah. P- the the PSP remake of that is uh probably my favorite game of all time. Um, I really must play that yeah. sometime. I have a Vita TV, so I could play it on that. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my, cause I was lucky enough to get a Vita TV. <laughs> my recommendation is to uh, zoom out. It looks better when it's zoomed out. Uh, pixels, okay. pixels look a little bit crisper on that one. Yeah. So. Did you, um, speaking of, uh, that sort of thing, I mean, one thing that I should mention actually, speaking of kind of ugly, hard games, um, but ones that turned out to be very rewarding, I did recently, uh, play through Dragon Warrior 7 on the uh the the PS1 I had not played it at the time because I wasn't big into importing games at that time but I I got it when I was away uh, in Canada last time I was there for the PlayStation and that's a really good game I mean it it takes a while to get going you know it's like 2 hours before the first random encounter but uh you know those little stories in there are just great and it's you know I mean Dragon Quest is always good but uh, Dragon Quest 7 is is very good and it's kind of interesting how it 
caps off the the PlayStation. You know, it came out so late in its lifespan um, in in North America that it's uh, it's funny, you know. And it's it's also kind of funny as well comparing it to Final Fantasy VII just to see how how awful uh, Dragon Quest VII looks in comparison to it. Connor, are you back in there? Hey, sorry about that. That's perfect. Hey, no worries, right. man. We were talking a little Alundra, and then uh, I went on about Tactics Ogre for a little while, so... Yeah, so we're basically finished up so we can all say goodbye, I suppose. Yeah, so... Okay. Okay, cool. All I missed then was Tactics Ogre, because I caught right up to the end of Alundra. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, weird. So the, uh, the, the brief thing I'll give you on Tactics Ogre was that is one of those games I finished... I don't know how... That is the game I... I, I don't want to say I finished more than any other game I've ever played, but um, the investment of time that it took to finish that game, um, up until I got a Game Shark, maybe my fifth or sixth time through it to get one of the endings, I was literally putting about 70 hours into each playthrough to get the different ending, and sometimes the endings were ever so slightly varied that it was almost not worth it. Um, the... The leveling system was atrocious, but the the story, despite the kind of, I don't want to say lackluster, but not the greatest uh, localization job, um, really hooked me. It basically is a sort of uh, retelling of the Bosnian War. That's right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting, and it's it's one of those games that um, you know, its PSP remake has been and probably will be one of my favorite games of all time. It, it fixed a lot of the issues while introducing uh, one, the alchemy system um, that the original had. But I mean, that original one, despite the uh, bad loading times, because I went, kind of went back and recently did some uh, capturing of the video for it. It's it's still one of those games that like. I don't care how old it is. I still can go back and play it. Um, That's magical. It's yeah. It, Having that relationship with the game is amazing. It, mm. Yeah, it, it is one of those things. Like I, I remember very distinctly that may have been one of those the first games I ever had like a true, not like I don't want to say like a child nostalgia sort of thing. Like like you know like I think I've mentioned this before. Like a link to the past. The real first moment I ever I think getting a like emotional response out of a video game was when I pulled the Master Sword out in A Link to the Past. Like, just this, oh my god, this is so cool. This was sort yeah. of one of those, the tactics ogre, like the sort of, I guess, big plot point of the end of the first chapter was one of those things that was just like, oh my god, video games can do this sort of thing? It, it was one of yeah. those things that just like absolutely threw me for a loop, and that's, I think, just to see what happened if you went the other route on that is what kept me going back to that game and then seeing political subterfuge involved in the game. And I, I could go on and on about this game, and maybe one of these days I should dig up somebody that knows a lot about it, and <laughs> I could do a podcast Talk with them, because good God, yeah, yeah, I could yeah. I could go on about this game for hours. But I don't think that came out here is the thing. I think that we, it's one that we all missed out the, on in uh, Europe. Yeah, I don't, think it, I don't think I heard about yeah. it here at the time. Yeah. Um, you um, know, it did come out in on the PSP out there i know that okay because i i imported the uh the collector's edition from europe because you guys got a much better edition than we did as far as like packaging goes um there is a uh, like 300 dollar japanese one that i'm i keep hesitating on pulling the trigger on just because of how expensive it is jehoshaphat but it was it was only available through the square enix store in japan and it is ridiculously overpriced but it's uh, that's kind of one of those games. Like, I want to collect every version of that game. So, yeah. But anyway, we've gotten I've gotten a little off track here. So that is entirely. Did you my guys fault. ever play uh, Chase the Express? Just, uh, just kind of thinking about Metal Gear Solid, it reminded me of Chase the Express, which was a game that came out just after MGS. 
um, where you were a guy infiltrating a train, and it was it was a lot of fun. Oh, I've never heard of it. I remember it having like really good graphics for a PlayStation One game, um, really good. Uh, so worth checking out on the YouTube Chase the Express. Okay, and you know, and kind of getting back to the PlayStation One as that system life kind of uh, reached its end, there were some really impressive graphical things that it was doing like you know we talked about metal gear and it was a largely like abstract art style i guess to kind of compensate for what it couldn't do but there was a lot of like stuff that it holds up much better than a lot of nintendo 64 games so yeah well yeah it holds up better than any n64 (laughs) game um you know uh, c12 as well um which came out of studio cambridge um one of sony's own studios that is a fantastic looking game and, and still looks very good um Vagrant Story, of course, is incredible looking. Um, Final Fantasy IX looks really good. Yeah, you know, even Final Fantasy VIII, as much as I don't enjoy the game, it it, it still does look pretty amazing when you consider the era it came out in. Um, you you know, Soul Reaver, I have always attributed as a Dreamcast game because that was one I got on my Dreamcast. So oh, interesting. It's kind of in my brain. It's a Dreamcast game, even though I did own the PlayStation One version. But as soon as like I realized, oh, it's on the Dreamcast too, I'm gonna play the better looking one. That's kind of how I feel about uh, Tony Hawk 2, because I played that a lot on the Dreamcast as opposed to the PS1, even though it is kind of like by rights a PS1 game, right? Yeah. I always associate the Dreamcast one as being the version. You know, there um, is one thing that kind of... Oh, Connor, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, um, I, I think um, a lot of the time artistic direction shines through even when generations pass. Yeah. And I think really stylized games a lot of the time age much better than really straight up games. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, totally. you look at the best looking PS2 game that goes for high end technology, it doesn't look as good as like say something as abstract as like Journey does, you know, from today's generation. Right. And Journey is something that I think yeah. in twenty years will still look good, whereas we look back at like, you know, the first Uncharted and we're like, Oh, that kind of moves a little janky, you know? Yeah, he looks like a, a weird guy now when you look back on him. Like at the time, it's funny, isn't it? How like something, even on the PS1, you could look at guys sometimes and you'd be like, wow, that dude looks like a real person. <laughs> yeah. And then you go back to it and you look at it and you're like, what was I thinking? It's like that. You know? It's really strange. It's like he's made out of yeah. seven polygons. How did I think this was good looking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, you know, one little last thing I was going to say, um, a genre that seemed to have, like, came and went with the PlayStation 1 was the car combat genre. Uh, like, Twisted wow. Metal, Vigilante 8. Twisted Metal, yeah. I mean, there there was even a Star Wars one. I've, Star Wars Demolition Derby that the guys who uh, did Vigilante 8 did that game as well. So yeah, it, it, it's oh. one of those abnormalities of, of that generation that just bring. I think that the cheap development or cheap production, anyway, of the, of the games like allowed for that sort of stuff. Where I don't think it translated yeah. very well into the PS2 and beyond eras. Do any of you guys remember um, Star Wars Masters of Terras Chasm? Oh boy, yeah. Do I? <laughs> Ooh, do I remember? <laughs> I was. So forgiving of that game. Like, I know it's a terrible It was game. so ledge before it was so ledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I know it was a terrible game, but I love that game. You know, I, I remember, like, trying so desperately to like it. Just because I was, I was <laughs> not heavy into Star Wars, but I was kind of, like, into Star Wars. And I wanted to like it so bad. And I just, I could not get into it. It was sort of one of those things that, like... I just I just realized it wasn't a good game, and I think the next weekend yeah, I um, I rented like Tale of the Sun, which I just did not understand what the hell was going on. I think to this day I don't know if I 
really understood what was going on with that game. So it kind of gives that thing of like, or it gave me that perspective when I was younger of, oh, there are bad, bad games. And there are games that I don't know what the hell is going on. I mean, they're, they're doing something, but what I yeah. don't know. And I think that was... Speaking of Tale of the Sun, yeah. it reminds me of Time Commando. I don't know if you guys ever played that. One of the oh, one of the worst right. games ever, Mm-mm. where you were like a dude traveling through time. You started out in um, uh, like Stone Age, and then you went into the w- Old West and stuff, and it seemed real cool. Like, you know, the premise was real neat, but it just controlled like crap. It was one of those, um, I think it was Cryo made it, who were this terrible French um, mm. developer of, of awful games. But there you go. PlayStation, good, bad, and uh, and uh, and a lot of ugly too in there too. Unfortunately, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think that about wraps up our uh, PlayStation discussion. There, I don't think we've really got too much else to say on it, um, unless you guys want to add anything. I'm looking forward to the Last Guardian. <laughs> you know, um, they're supposed. You know to- what, Jason? Something that you said. Uh, um, go on. No, you. Go. Oh, okay. Uh, just real quick. There's something coming up here. Uh, from TGS on the Last Guardian, I guess they're going to be showing a lot of a lot of new stuff from the Last Guardian. So that hopefully that'll, that'll be yeah, hopefully that'll be coming out soon. Maybe it'll be a release date that's in the next uh, decade. That'd be great. That'd be nice. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Connor. Yeah, your closing um, comments. Connor. Yeah, I was just going to say something about um, something you said about an emotional response, like when you uh, when you uh, pull the sword and the um, time uh, from Ogre Tactics. Oh no, no, that was uh, yeah. li- Link to the Past. That was the, that Wait, was the yeah. that was the okay. So my first like real like I, I guess like childish emotional response I ever got from a video game was pulling out the Master yeah. Sword in a Link to the Past. But the real like as far as like a movie kind of or a movie um like a, a video game hitting me like a movie or a TV show kind of in the yeah. you know in the gut was the the end of the first chapter of Tactics Ogre. Okay, sorry. Okay, good. Um, well, this what that made me think of was um. Uh, someday I'd love if we could all get together to do a show about um, affecting moments in video games. You know what? Um, yeah. The the most emotional moments in video games. When I bought the Universal Soldier game for the uh, Mega Drive after trading in my copy of Dino Land Pinball uh, to afford it and brought it home and found it was the worst game I'd ever played, even though I really liked Universal Soldier, the movie, that was an emotional moment. For me. That's an emotional <laughs> moment. That's yes. Good. I, uh, I I probably had a uh, I probably had an emotional moment when I uh, traded in my first PlayStation and traded in a ton of games that are now fairly expensive, so I could get uh, I think um, God, what was it? Maybe no, it wasn't the Saturn. It was uh, maybe it was the game. Oh, you rube. Maybe an Xbox. Maybe even it maybe it was even worse. Maybe it was the Xbox, the original Xbox. Ah, uh, no. Well, at least you had uh, at least you had um, watching me call it. Uh, uh, Azuric, the blue man, Ooh, to play. Boy. Links the time sweeper. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll give you a quick thing. Like, I, I went through and played Halo, and that was really the only thing on the original Xbox that really grabbed me. And I couldn't, there was like nothing on the horizon that looked interesting to me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get rid of the Xbox. And I think that next month there was a uh, magazine called Xbox Nation. They had Panzer Dragoon Orta on the cover, and it looked just incredible to me. And I was like, great. Guess I got to go buy one of those again. <laughs> ah, Knights of the Old Republic was the big one for me on the Xbox, and um, Strangers Wrath, the the Oddworld game. Oh, right. where the, the, Gun. That was fantastic. Gun for me. Um, oh boy, um, yeah. Oh, and Second yeah. Sight actually. Second Sight is probably my favorite original Xbox game. Yeah, that was a great game, wasn't it, man? Mm-hmm. 
there was two games that came out around the same time. There was Second Sight and there was PsyOps, and they were both kind of similar premises, and they were both really good. Like, it was a good time for, like, picking stuff up and throwing it with your mind. That was a great time for picking stuff up and throwing it with your mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in and out of games. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, can I just say one final thing about Second Sight? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I remember that game, I sort of imagined the protagonist as being very Walter White because he was either bald or else he had a goatee and hair. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think you're definitely right. Yeah, yeah there was a slight Walter, a White, feel Walter White look about him. And he kept saying, I am the danger whenever he threw, uh, all the time, you know, pizzas at people at roofs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was his go-to. That's how I remember that game. Yeah. yeah. Was that the game where you could like pick up sort of things that were completely harmless and throw them at people? Like I remember, I think it was either that or PsyOps where you could pick up like a pen and like decimate a guy with it because you just throw it at such velocity. Wow. <laughs> I didn't, I actually didn't enjoy PsyOps nearly as much. Um, no. Wasn't PsyOps on the, the cover? He was like holding up his hand and his like eyes were glowing blue and his hand was glowing blue. Yes. Right? Okay. I'm yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. Okay. It had that thing where your psychic power was like a resource that you had to get, like pickups to be able no, to power it. Yeah. Okay. And I hate that stuff. Yeah, uh, it sucks. If you have a psychic power, you you know, like you have it. It's not as if you're like, oh, I only have my psychic power when I eat these candy bars. Yeah, you know, it's, a- it's dumb. Tetsuo and Akira didn't have to eat no candy bars. He just had to carry around that big load of gloop with him. Everywhere. I'm looking at you, Human Revolution. Yeah, Human Revolution. Boy, oh boy. I'm looking at you, mankind divided. If you have that shit in there, we're all going to be mad. There's enough. Uh, there's enough shit to be mad about right now with mankind divided. So, oh, I, I, you know what? I really, really did enjoy Human Revolution, but there were some things in there that's like, uh, why? Never finished Human Revolution, despite really enjoying it. I got to a point where I was like, oh, another boss battle? Eh, no thanks. You know. So. Yeah. Mm, it's a pity, but that that was a game that really evoked Metal Gear Solid for me in a lot of ways. I really brought back memories of the first MGS, particularly. A lot of I think that's one of the reasons I didn't like it, actually. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Well, you know, because it didn't, because it compared so unfavorably. That's true. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the boss battle department. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I, I can see a lot of influence on that one. And unfortunately, there, there wasn't the, I guess, that Metal Gear always had sort of like a secondary way to beat somebody if you were kind yeah. of inventive about it this the human revolution was like you know if you went through the game as kind of a stealthy you know non-lethal guy yeah. you got to those boss battles and you were just struggling you were, fucked. You were just yeah the the best uh <laughs> thing to come out of metal gear like the best influence that someone took from metal gear was siphon filter that game was so stupid <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was really great lighting people on fire with your taser yeah, uh, that running animation is really bad. Oh, and also his legs kind the, of like um, go outwards as he's running. Yeah, he's like one of those GI Joe dolls mm. that you have, like the old, you know, they have the twisty uh, body and torso thing. Yes, and then also you have um, much the sashay. coolest thing. The coolest thing about <laughs> the coolest thing about um, uh, Siphon Filter. I was about to say the coolest thing about Seinfeld. <laughs> the coolest thing about Siphon Filter is that you could shoot guys, you could shoot bosses in the head, and they'll die in one hit. I thought that was. Totally cool. You know, that um, is cool. I, I, I have so little memory of the original Siphon Filter outside of, like, the opening area, but I do remember, like, this, like, sniping stage on Siphon Filter 2, so, but... Oh, yeah, that's rough. Oh, yeah. And then Siphon Filter 3, where you're in court for the whole game, <laughs> and you're doing, like, flashbacks as a guy's interrogating you. Man, oh, so that's where boy, Gears oh, of War Judgment got its, uh, got its call from. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And then the next best Metal Gear ripoff was Splinter Cell, but it took them a while to get good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed like one and a half Splinter Cell games. Yeah, 
Yeah. Is that uh, a is it? And I'm, it, I'm I'm dying for the next one. Is that a uh, is that a, a cumulative amount? Are we talking, or is that like <laughs> is there a one specific and then like you've enjoyed half of another? That's about right. Yeah. Like I loved Conviction, um, and in fact, actually, uh, I know we're going to talk about it next week, so I shouldn't say too much about it. But um, in uh, MGS Five, the the way the guys on your mother base are so chatty. Really, really, really reminds me of uh, Splinter Cell Conviction. Um, those guys who are always shouting, like, we, we remember we, the airfield, Fisher. <laughs> you killed a few of our guys in the airfield, but we'll definitely get you next time in the jungle. Oh, you might have taken care of us in the jungle, Fisher, but this is the, you know, air base. We're going to yeah. get you this time. You're back to the airfield, and we're prepared. Oh, we're in space this time, Fisher. You can't float away from us forever. You know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> they're the best. And then they could, could totally fucked it for Blacklist, because they didn't talk at all. The only Blacklist funny, was such a disappointment. The only funny things about Blacklist were... Uh, the the end of the game where you have to where you have to, to initiate the like fifth the amendment or whatever you kill protocol. the yeah you kill the vice president yeah, <laughs> yeah that was great. wow That's, uh, and the vice president of all people huh the the biggest yeah. figurehead yeah. we have in this country so that's the Fifth Amendment, baby. Yeah, poor Vice President. If he, it's basically, he literally never did anything to anybody. Nope. Sam Fisher kills the Vice President and then becomes the king of America. Uh, is how that game hey, ends. Hey, hey, spoilers. He, Come on, man. Sorry. And then he cuts the guy's heels and lets him crawl around. Yeah, weird game. Really weird game. Okay. Um, yeah, I never finished that one. I, yeah, so basically, bit. when I say one and a half, I mean all of Conviction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, cumulatively about half based on about three games that I attempted. Okay. Also, final thing about Conviction is that game is only about five and a half or six hours long. And uh, I remember people really, really complained about it. But I played it through like five, six times because I loved it so much. I thought it was great. I you know what? Amazing I, 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 think, uh, I think like gameplay-wise, gameplay wise, that was probably the best Splinter Cell. It felt like... Yeah. actually fun to play not not tedious yes. and you could go loud and then go quiet again and i think that's like exactly. one of the things i mean we'll talk about metal gear next time but i think mm-hmm. that's one of the great things about the newer metal gear is that you can kind of you know play it how you want and you don't yeah. necessarily have to be stealthy all the time you can just you know whip out a, a machine gun and take off your clothes and shoot some guys you know? yeah that's a thing you could do in the game. You could do that in real life. Yeah, I was gonna say oh. if you want to go all Rambo about it. I mean, I, I I do that when I go get the mail. I grab a uh, you know I grab a Nerf gun and just oh, I want my whatever package I have coming today. Neighbor, I get a lot of weird looks from the neighbors, but you know. And then you cry in the station. And you say you know that really um, that really heartbreaking bit in the first Rambo when he's yeah. having the breakdown in the in the <laughs> station. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. All right, look. I think we should wrap Absolutely. this up. Absolutely, we are, we are, and we are way off topic from the original PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're two generations at least removed now, if not three. So, um, anyway, so that was our talk on the PlayStation's twentieth uh, anniversary. Um, Connor, Luke, you guys want to go ahead and do your plugs here? Yeah. Hey, you can check us out on the Movie Express podcast. Movieexpress.org. It's a great podcast. Uh, Jason listens, and uh, you should too, because uh, you like Jason. You hopefully like me and Connor. And, I would imagine uh, anyone you know, that likes me probably would like you guys a lot more. Yeah, so. you should check it out. You could check me out on <laughs> Twitter at Luke Maxwell. I I tweet um, mostly about Gundam. There we go. We got it. We got it in. Thank you, thank you, Luke. I was worried yeah. we weren't going to be able to squeeze that in somehow. <laughs> hey. Connor. Uh, if you want to, yeah, okay. Um, if you want, I'm on Twitter as well, actually. Uh, I, I tweet about feminism a lot, actually. Uh, so you can, if you're into that, you'll, you'll get a lot of that from me. Uh, and also, I've got this book. Um, so if you like 
if you like Carnivals and Revenge, buy my book and then just read it over and over and over again. Buy his like, book. Uh, like Miss Havisham. Yeah. <laughs> I do that every time as well. I do the Jay Sherman. Uh, it's called The Hanged Man, Connor. Yes, that's right. My book is called The Hanged Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so look it up. Go to my Twitter or something. There's links to it. And uh, then tell me about how it changed your life. Or how you, uh, or how you uh, were, were angry at you and we want to fight you for it at the end. That's yeah, I'll accept that yeah, as well. Your little, uh, yeah. your little, ref- or a little, little reference to the latest episode of your guys' podcast there. So, <laughs> and he does listen. Like I that. told you, I listen to every episode, there guys. I've listened to every it's episode tough, for man. the last like two years. So, anyway, yeah. um, well, it's better than having to listen to my own voice because, boy. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Jason Ariola. Um, eventually, we're gonna get stuff going here on the site again, but until then, um, just follow me on Twitter. You'll probably be, I don't know, largely disappointed as to my activity on there because there's not a lot going on there anymore outside of me talking to, uh, you know, Luke, Connor, and uh, I, can we say friend of the show? Maybe just friend of us, uh, Alan Avril. Sure. So, Mr. Uh, Frodo Mojo. Also, you should follow uh, Jason on Twitter because I have actually more than once found myself saying that Jason Ariola may be the nicest person on Twitter. Uh, mm. That's actually a true story. Um, so you should follow him on Twitter, oh, shucks, if, uh, man. if only for that reason. Yeah, nice guy, Mister Nice Guy, like that Jackie yeah. Chan film. Yeah, where he played a chef. Is that right, Mister Nice Guy? Was he a yeah, chef? I believe he's a chef. Man, you guys yeah. are going for some deep. But cuts he does have, he does come through though. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well, thank you, thank right. you, Connor. I appreciate that. So anyway, um, thanks for listening. We will talk at you guys next week, where we're going to be talking a lot about. Metal Gear Solid Five, and what do you guys think? We should maybe, maybe, maybe uh, go back in time, talk a little about the rest of the Metal Gear series too. Metal Gear. I would, I would really enjoy that very much. Okay, huh? you know what? Uh, retrospective. <laughs> yeah. And when, uh, and, and I, and I guess we'll have to decipher which one of us has the best David Hater impression, so we can. It's a Russian gunship. <laughs> so we could. Uh, oh, that's Lucas. That's really good. I'm, I'm mainly probably just going to be busting out my uh, ocelot. Oh yeah, let's hear your ocelot. Which which ocelot? Are... <laughs> oh, your liquid ocelot. Okay, I was going right. to say, which ocelot are we going to do here? Because there's like three different ones. Did you like my so sunglasses? <laughs> yeah. So at the so uh, so hopefully we won't uh, keep you waiting for the next podcast too long. Here it should just be up next week. So whose footprints are these? <laughs> uh, you know what? I if I think with the uh, the lunch I'm going to get myself, I'm going to be doing an impression of uh, Johnny, whatever his name is. I'm going to be in the toilet probably. So, all oh, right, Johnny Sasaki, yeah, something, whatever his name is, yeah, and yeah. then or and his what is it, his father that was somehow in the Russian military That's in right. Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah. So, anyway, we should probably save this, uh, save these stupid Metal Gear puns for next week. So, anyway, uh, thank yeah. you for listening to the Games and Junk podcast, Luke. As usual, thank you for being on. Thank you, and Connor. Thank you for coming on, and hope and not not hopefully, I'm going to hold you to it. We're going to see you next week, right? Yes, we're going to do it. All that. right. I'm very excited I, you know, I am very excited about this uh, Metal Gear thing. I am going to, uh, you know what, I might even go dig up the MP3 file of the old uh, version of the Gadge podcast where we talked about Metal Gear, see if I can come up with anything where I didn't sound like an idiot rambling about it. So, um, Oh, by the way, real quick. Uh, I'll listen to that in preparation. Oh, no, no, no. That is, uh, that is, that is long disappeared from the internet, unfortunately, when uh, our oh, previous... Well, send it to us. Send Ooh, to I don't us. know if I want to yeah. do that. We'll see. Um, oh, you should. you should. By the way, are we going to talk about Metal Gear Rising Revengeance? I would love to because I love that game. Okay. Hell yeah, we and are. And how about yeah. uh, Ghost Babel? 
Yeah, I've sure. I'll talk, that, about, so I'll talk about those labels. Okay, so I'm going yeah. to have to give myself a little refresher course on a couple of these, but I think... I could uh, talk about Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, if you want. Oh, cool. good. At least yeah. one of us can. I don't, I don't think I've ever played it. Actually, how about Metal Gear, the original Metal Gear 2? We could talk about Metal Gear Acid 2. Somebody's going to... We could talk about... We could talk about Metal Gear Solid 2, The Bond Destiny. You know what? Why don't we just go ahead and say we're going to be talking about an awful lot of Metal Gear next week because I think we're going to hit yeah. every entry, but I want to get into Metal Gear Solid 5 because we have got, I think we've all got a lot to say about it. And hopefully by then we've made some major headway in the story. So hopefully by then, Luke, yeah. you have finished the, uh, the majority of that. Yeah, and you and I, true yeah, you and I yeah. can, uh, Oops. you and I can talk about our feelings on the true ending. I haven't finished it, but I know what it is because I'm not a guy that's bothered by spoilers. I can still be shocked by something even if I know what's coming. So anyway, uh, thank you for listening and we will talk at you guys next week. Mm-hmm.